On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Cephas and John and Alexander and all who were with the high priest family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Christ Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Thank you, Andy. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Andy just read a portion of our scripture this morning, and that's going to be found in Acts chapter number 4. I would encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, maybe you forgot yours this morning, look in the chairs around you. The smaller black book is a Bible, about every three chairs down. There's also some in the back on the bookcase there next to the sound booth. I'd love you to follow along with us as we read God's Word together this morning. And as well, let me just say it was a joy to sing with you all this morning. It is wonderful to be together worshiping here. And every song that was sung this morning, I appreciate the intentionality that Albany puts as worship director here, and even the song that the choir sang, all point back to themes that we're going to hear in today's message. In fact, some of the songs that we sang, you're going to hear words from them uh, in the sermon this morning, including what we just heard from Andy share. Acts chapter number 4. As we begin, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever been to China? Raise your hand. Several of you. I was actually astounded in the first service how many folks had been to China in the first service. And today we're all going to spend some time in China. We're going to be world travelers. We're going to go from China to Jerusalem to the historic and well-known Delaware, Ohio this morning. But we're going to start our time in China. And as we start our time in China here, we're going to go to the eastern province of China in a place called Shandong. It's there in a village that we meet a man named Ding LeMay. Now, Ding was born on October the 2nd, 1871, into a Christian family. His father, also known, named Ding, was known as one of the first Christians in this region. Now, historically, China has been known as a country that is very hostile to Christianity. Today, the Chinese Communist Party, which runs their government, aligns themselves with the, as being atheists. And, and the Communist Party members are banned from believing or practicing any faith as they believe that religion can function as an alternative to communism 
and it can undermine loyalty to the government. Now, at this point in the late 1800s, China was less established in this line of thinking. And during Ding's life, through the age of 13, uh, he was raised there in his Christian home, and then he left home to enroll at a university founded by the Presbyterian Church. At the age of 20, he graduated and taught as a Christian grade school teacher. After doing that for several years, he went back to the same school to study theology and was ordained and served as a pastor beginning in 1898, pastoring a church while preaching in various parts of Shandong. Two years in his ministry, though, something major happened. An event known as in the Chinese culture as the Boxer Rebellion happened when a group of rebels called Boxers joined together to overthrow the emperor of China and expel any foreigners from the land. Christianity was seen as a betrayal to Chinese culture. And over the two years that this rebellion lasted, over 100,000 Christians were murdered for their faith. Now, Ding was not murdered for his faith, but he was imprisoned for preaching Christianity. He found himself in prison after proclaiming his faith. And yet as we study the history of the church and as we study the book of Acts, that's not the only time that we see this happening. In fact, it's what we see here within this text today. And so we're going to back up to the beginning of chapter number four. And we're going to begin our time looking at these first four verses. It says, And as they were spreading to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. <clears throat> Verse 4, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. As we study this passage this morning, and as we study the life of Ding LeMay, we're going to be studying the topic of Christian boldness. And we're going to be looking at a couple different focuses this morning that dovetail together. The first one being, what is true Christian boldness? Or as the title at the beginning of your outline says, what is bold faith? It's something that we're going to see in the example of these disciples here together today. And we're going to ask ourselves then this, what can I learn about Christian boldness from the example of these disciples? And as we see the disciples here, we see this passage picking up directly from where we left off last week. It was at that time that Peter healed a known lame man in Jerusalem, and he preaches to the people, challenging them to repent and turn from their wickedness. And as they do that, then, we see them being persecuted for their faith. And we see, number one, boldness and persecution. They are bold despite the persecution that they faced by these persecution authorities. Verse 1 shares with us these authorities that came after these men. They were known as priests, as religious leaders in the temple. You saw the captain of the temple, or the lead guard to the temple. 
And as well, you see the Sadducees, a group of Jews that did not believe in Jesus' resurrection. And while we know the Sadducees for being men that did not believe theologically what these disciples were preaching, I find it very interesting that they were primarily known for this, but as I studied, I saw that they were also known as being incredibly loyal to the Roman government and had a real strong association with the wealthy class during this time. So these were going to be men that desired to keep the status quo. Why? Because it benefited them. Now, as these persecution authorities come upon these disciples, verse 2 shares with us that they were greatly annoyed. Why were they greatly annoyed? Well, not only were they annoyed because these men were preaching a theology that they didn't agree with, the good news of Jesus Christ, but they were also upending the system that had been put in place. This system that was affecting their jobs and their pocketbook. So they were ticked off not only because they didn't believe this doctrine that they were espousing, but because they could be out of a job and out of some money if this continued to spread with the wildfire that it was spreading. So these persecution authorities decided then to take matters into their own hands. And in verse 3 it says, They arrested them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening, or they were thrown in prison for the night because it was too late for them to go to trial. Yet as we continue on here within this text, I would sense that there is a great amount of nervousness that these apostles are facing. They have done these great miraculous signs through the power of the Holy Spirit. They have done these wonderful works. Yet not only are they thrown in prison, but as this text continues, it shares with us in verse 5, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all of whom were of the priestly family. Stop there. As we then see that not only were these persecution authorities that thrown them into prison there, but more of the big guns came to play. Because now we see high priests coming. A man named Annas, who was formerly a high priest, but who was resolved of that duty. His son-in-law as well, Caiaphas, who was at Christ's trial and served as a high priest. And two men who we don't know much about, named John and Alexander, who were of the high priestly family. Now notice the contrast that we see here within the text of Scripture. We see these apostles who are known as normal, everyday, salt-to-the-earth, people that we'd probably get along and rub shoulders really well with, men who had done these miraculous great acts in Jesus' name. They were detained and thrown in jail and brought before these high public authorities of the land. These authorities who felt threatened by these common men. These common men had, who had done, through the power of the Holy Spirit, incredible acts to the glory of God. And yet, as we see the persecution that these authorities brought, we also see that there was much fruit in the lives of these apostles through the persecution that they faced. Because we glanced at it, but let's really focus on it for a moment. In verse 4, 
We see the fruit that came as they followed the Lord in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit and healed this man. In verse 4 it says, But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of them the, of the men came to about 5,000. That there was a miraculous event that had happened where 5,000 people came to know Jesus Christ, to have a faith in Him based on the incredible miraculous act that was done by these common men. It was clear that the power that resided in this, these men the power to heal and to preach and teach the truth as they did wasn't something that they could do in and of themselves as common fishermen. It wasn't something that any common man could do. It was done through the awesome power of God, through the Holy Spirit working in them. And this power was recognized not only to the other common people, but as well to these authorities. Looking at verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? They saw that this was something a little bit more than a bait and switch. That this power that they had came from somewhere. And through the persecution that they were facing, there was much spiritual fruit not only through the salvation of so many souls of over 5,000, but as well more that we'll see in just a moment. But as we look at the example here, we see that God bears much fruit through persecution. And I think that any of us who have walked with the Lord for any amount of time could say that, yeah, as I have went through difficult times being persecuted by others in my faith, God has not only grown you in your faith, but He has, in a way that only He could do, used that persecution to draw other people to Himself. As we share the gospel with others, we may be persecuted. As we publicly share our faith, we may face shame. We may face consequences because of that decision. Yet we can affirm, as these men did, that God sovereignly works much good in and through that persecution that we face. This was true in the lives of Peter and John. This was true in the lives of the other followers of Christ. It's true in our lives, and it was also true in the life of Ding LeMay. As he saw much fruit during his season of persecution as well. As Ding was thrown in prison for nearly 40 days for being a Christian, some chronicle that he received nearly 200 blows by a rod. Others saying that that number was closer to 500. The amount of lashings that he took on his body while in prison left deep open wounds and great pain that I have to speculate and say he probably didn't receive a lot of medical treatment for. Now after those 40 terrible days, Ding was released from prison. And he resolved to preach the gospel in every providence in China. He was a man who believed that the key to securing a Christian future for his nation was to reach students for Christ. So he traveled to the middle and lower reaches of the Yangtze River and he preached at revival meetings, seeing thousands repenting of their sins and following Christ. 
Through his ministry, many young people dedicated themselves to Christian service. Despite the persecution that he faced, and I'm sure a fear that that persecution, that being thrown in jail and being beaten again could be there, Ding was bold to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't stop simply because he had been persecuted and thrown in prison, and God continued to work spiritual fruit through the persecution that he suffered. That is because, just like Peter and John, that he was bold in his proclamation. We see bold faith not only in persecution, but also in proclamation. And we see proclaiming power here that is done by the Holy Spirit. Again, in verse 7, as these authorities look at these men, they say, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and then he continues on. But I don't want to gloss over that power of the Holy Spirit, because you already heard me say it, but I want to say again, that it's through the power of the Holy Spirit on these men that these common fishermen were able to do these incredible, wonderful acts for God as they were able to share the truth of this word of the word of god notice very carefully that they didn't it wasn't just some great argument that they made it wasn't some bait and switch tactic it was power that could only come from god through the holy spirit and through that holy spirit power they were able to proclaim christ It says, the authorities say, by what power or by what name did you do this? And let me tell you what, Peter sure shares with them. He says in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Amen. Glory, hallelujah to that. Peter, as he was questioned by these authorities, took the clear opportunity to proclaim Christ. And boy, did he proclaim it. He knocked it out of the park. He shares the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who was fully God, who was fully man, who was the only person who has ever been born of a virgin, who had no sin, that stain was not on him, who was crucified by these Jews, who resurrected from the dead, who was now seated at the right hand of his heavenly Father, and who would one day come again and will one day come again. And as we see the boldness here that Peter shares, we see that as they shared this, that they clearly didn't make reference of themselves or their gifts or their abilities. 
They made reference to Christ. They proclaimed the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet as we sung about Jesus Christ being our cornerstone today, we first see that reference here in the book of Acts. As it shares in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. They rejected him and crucified him. The builders which has become the cornerstone. Historically in architecture, the cornerstone was the first stone that was laid in a structure. Now typically the cornerstone is one of the largest, most solidly, most carefully constructed pieces. Oftentimes, especially during this time period, it marked the direction and location of the building and served as the guide that all of the laborers followed so that they made sure that the rest of their work was in line. You want to make sure your building's straight? Well, you have your cornerstone in the right place, and then you follow from there. Today, you'll often see buildings with cornerstones, such as the one that you see on the screen, that have the date for when the building was constructed or information about who the founders of the organization were. Cornerstones were incredibly well known in this culture, and they were regularly constructed, so this was an illustration that the people would clearly relate to. In fact, there are many references throughout history to buildings, whether it be religious or secular buildings, where religious leaders or the owners of the buildings would place a sacrifice on the cornerstone to, the building, or to that building, asking their false gods to bless the building or the work of the religious rituals that were going to be performed in it. Cornerstones were known as something incredibly important there. And as Peter addresses these men, he shares that this stone the one that was rejected by these Jewish people, has become the cornerstone. The, the stone that had been rejected was the block that the church would be built upon, and everything in Christianity was now aligned to this stone. Jesus now was the standard, and he remains the standard. You want to know where a church gets off track? Check how they view Jesus. You want to know how we can keep in right doctrine? We can keep Jesus as the cornerstone of the church. Jesus remains the standard, verse 11, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You want to see, think of a bold thing to say to these authorities? It's that right there. And please don't lose sight as we look at this text that Peter when the Lord gave him the opportunity, when these authorities basically threw him up a softball, he took his chance and knocked it out of the park. He took the opportunity to share his faith, and man, did he share. And if you want to have bold faith, much like Peter, as we look at his example, when people ask us about the hope that's found within us, we should share and we should boldly proclaim the fact that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter was bold to share these things. And as he shared these truths, he was not only bold in sharing it one time, 
but he continued to persist in doing so. And the next point that we see is boldness and persistence. We're going to see two types of persistence here. The first one being that there was persistent evidence. There was persistent evidence that there was a work that was being done here that was not being done by common man, but by a holy, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-incredible God. The God that we sang about just a little bit ago. How great thou art. Truly the only God that is worthy of our praise. Because as it continues on in verses 13 through 18, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Stop there for a second. I love that point. What was their response to this boldness? These guys are common, stupid fishermen. How are they doing this stuff? Continuing on. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What's the first evidence? Number one, these men had been with Jesus. But seeing that the man who was healed, standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign had been performed through them is evident to all the, or the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Evidence number one was they saw that they had been with Jesus. Evidence number two was that these men had healed another man. They saw the evidence of this healed man. And as Pastor Scott shared last week, that this was a man that was well known in this community for his deformity. This was going to be a man that it was very clear that he was deformed, that there was something wrong there. And we'll learn a little bit more about that here in just a few minutes. But they had seen that there was something different, that this wasn't a bait and switch. And so they said, how can we stop these guys? The only way that they could see to do that was really by putting a gag order on the disciples. By warning them not to talk about this stuff anymore. The evidence was irrefutable. So the only thing that they could do was use their powers, their authority, and basically look down at them and say, you better not do this anymore. The evidence was persistent. They put a gag order on the disciples, and similarly, as our faith is evident in the lives of other people, as we step out and seek to do great things for God, others are going to look at you, and they're going to think the same things that these authorities did. These guys are simple. They're stupid. They're common. They're wasting their lives. The things that they're doing here aren't really going to matter. I'm going to do whatever I want. They're going to tell you to sit down and to shut up. But much like these disciples, you can be confident in the truth that you proclaim. You can be confident in the good news of Jesus Christ. And you will, as the apostles did, see persistent evidence of it in your life. 
Yet the next thing that we see from these men is that they had confidence. And it wasn't a cockiness like we would think of today, but it was a persistent confidence, not in themselves, but in who God was and what he was doing. Looking at verses 19 through 22, it says, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, or rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people, for all who were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. They had persistent confidence in what God had done and who he was and the evidence that had shown. And one final piece of evidence that we see is right there in verse 22. Because I was, as I was studying this week, I was studying and looking at verse 22 and thinking to myself, why is it so important that Luke put that this man was 40 years old during this time when he was healed. As I studied, I read the Barnes Notes on the Bible commentary, and it said this, the age of the man is mentioned to show the certainty and greatness of the miracle. If it had been a man who had been lame but a few years, or if it had been a child or a very young man, the case would not have been so remarkable. But after a continuance of 40 years, all hope of healing him by any ordinary means must have been abandoned. And all pretense that this was jugglery or deception must have been absurd. Again, it was clear, irrefutable, that God had done an incredible work through these men. There was persistent evidence. If it sounds like I'm repeating myself, it's because I am, because it was persistent. It was there. You couldn't miss it. The disciples then, having this confidence in this persistent evidence, responded to these authorities and boldly told them that they would continue to speak the truth that they had seen and heard. Now it's bold to be told that you can't go to speak these truths anymore. But let me say that these apostles, that these disciples, were stepping up their boldness another level by not just continuing to go on and do these things, but looking these guys back in the eye and saying, hey, you can, you can tell us this, but we can't help but preach, but proclaim these wonders, these signs, the greatness of who God is through the power of the Holy Spirit. These men looked at these authorities and said, you're not going to stop us. What you do to us, you must judge, but we're going to continue to proclaim these truths. You want to know what boldness looks like? It's when someone tells you to sit down and shut up for your faith, you look back at them and say, I can't but help proclaim these incredible things that God has done. And that's the example that we see from these men. That they were persistently confident, not in themselves, but in the work that God was doing in and through them, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Persistent, persistent, confident proclamation of the gospel of Christ was also found in the life of our friend Ding LeMay. 
as Ding didn't stop preaching after he saw thousands saved at the Yangtze River. No, Ding, who was considered to be a, more of a mild man, likely not speaking with the bravado of these disciples, continued to go from providence to providence throughout China and continued to preach the truth. God greatly worked through him, and from 1908 to 1923, Ding focused on itinerant evangelism and saw his ministry spread to every important providence in China. He was influential in leading thousands to Christ and was an instrumental tool of the Lord to lead hundreds of Chinese men to enter the ministry. As Ding grew older, he began to experience some health problems, and so he shifted his attention from traveling to theological education. He taught for eight years at a seminary, and then pastored a church, and then went back to teaching again, this time in a Bible college setting, serving as an assistant dean until his death four years later at the age of 65. He dedicated his life to boldly, persistently proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's word, and God continued to bear much fruit through his ministry. Finally, though, Ding was also a man of prayer. And it's through his life and through the life of the disciples that our final point that we see is boldness and prayer. These men were bold to pray. And the final portion that we see here of our scripture this morning is that they prayed, and they first prayed boldly, praising God for what he had done. Verse 23 says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. As we see this opening prayer here, we see them giving praise to God. The people first praise God as the sovereign Lord who created all things. That word Lord used there in verse 24 is an uncommon usage here within the New Testament of the word Lord. And it basically means absolute master. God was the sovereign creator of all things. From the sea to the sky to everything in it. As we sung in How Great Thou Art. Not only was God the creator, he was the master and the sustainer of all things. He was the sovereign Lord, ruling and reigning over all as he is today. And they praised God by sharing words from Psalm 2. Words that they saw fulfilled here. The Psalms have been an incredibly important part of my spiritual growth in life. And for Christmas this past year, uh, my best friend Josh got me an ESV devotional Psalter. 
Now, I already had an ESV devotional Psalter, but I decided to use this copy that he got me and again go through that. And in that Psalter, it's one I would definitely recommend to you, uh, it has, after each psalm, a devotional thought, and it's shared by a man who was recently a pastor who retired named Ray Ortland. He was the pastor of Emanuel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. And many of you as well have been reading a book that his son wrote, Dane Ortland, called Gentle and Lowly, that we gave copies out here at Delaware Bible Church. And many of you have been encouraged by that. And as I read that this passage here was from Psalm 2, I went back and I read that devotional from Psalm 2. And it fit in so well as a parallel to this text that I wanted to share it with you. He says this, that when we as the people of God sing Psalm 2, we remind ourselves of how God made David and his descendants to be kings, tasked with carrying out God's redemptive purposes in the world in the face of overwhelming opposition. This psalm exalts in the promises made to the Davidic king at his coronation. With his prospect of a worldwide, worldwide rule in the house of David. This psalm also looks to the future when David's ultimate heir, the Messiah, would indeed accomplish this. With the coming of the Messiah, this psalm's triumphant portrait of the Davidic throne takes on heightened significance and finds its ultimate meaning. Believers today are the heirs of this promise, and its promise, promises come to rest on the worldwide church and its faith in the true, final Davidic heir, Jesus. Those who take refuge in him have found the only true safe place in this broken world. Those who persist in resisting God and his rule, even if they are powerful rulers on the earth, will be finally defied, and justly destroyed. You want to see what these men had confidence in? It's that right there. Despite whatever tumults rock our lives today, David's greatest son, Jesus himself, has been installed as the ruler of the world. One day this kingship will break open in universal acknowledgement and the universal execution of perfect justice. For now, we can go forth in the glad assurance that in Jesus, we will one day leave behind forever the futility of the present. Every injustice in our lives will be undone. Take heart, we are on the right side. These men praised God reciting Psalm 2, seeing the fulfillment, that though there were these men that were accusing them, men of great authority and power, look at how God had rescued them. Not only were they praising God, but they were praying for provision. Verse 27 through 28 says, For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan predestined to take place. God, 
His provision was clear in the life of Christ and the life of these men. And as these disciples applied this psalm to their own experience, they saw that these rulers that gathered together against them, that they would not stand over them. That as the Lord's anointed, that God's plan and God's provision would take place. And that God was the one who provided, saving them from harm and allowing them to praise God. And I'm sure that each of us can just look at times in our lives as these men did. And we could just say, man, it was God that did a work through that. It was God that led me into that trial. It was God that allowed them to be able to miraculously heal this man, to preach and proclaim great things, and then to stand up to these authorities who, this is divine speculation, but I'm sure, had this empowered boldness that was supernaturally in them through the power of the Holy Spirit. That while they might have been nervous, they were able to look at these men in the eyes and say, do whatever you want. We're going to keep serving the Lord. There, there were prayers of provision. And as well, and this is such a beautiful thing, there were prayers for boldness. Because they, these men knew that their job was not done yet. God spared their lives so that he could continue or they could continue to proclaim the truth. And it says in verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Lord, you are the God that makes provision for these things. And now, Lord, look at these threats that they make. Take care of us and allow us to continue to preach and proclaim the truth to upend these religious systems, these world systems with boldness as we proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These men understood the responsibility that God had given them and they asked for help to continue to boldly proclaim the truth. And what a prayer that is. Lord, as you deliver me from these trials, help me to continue to boldly proclaim the truth. Help me to boldly continue to share the truth of your word. The New American Commentary said this about this verse. This is what the community prayed for. More signs to undergird the word. More boldness to proclaim it. They surely knew what the result would be. And that was more persecution. And as we continue to look through this book, we see that there was a whole lot more persecution to come. But what was their prayer for? Not, God, please spare me from this and keep me comfortable for the rest of my life. God, give us boldness in what you're leading us into. Finally then, last, we see prayers of power. Prayers of power. And in verse 31, or verse 30 through 31 says, While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed the prayer in which they were gathered together, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Just as we had seen at Pentecost, we see again a natural event like an earthquake taking place. 
And as these men were filled with the Holy Spirit, they continued to do the work of the ministry. They continued to share the Word of God with boldness. They weren't done yet. God answered their prayers and they continued to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news for the glory of God. As God gives us time here on this earth, He will continue to provide for our needs, to give us boldness, power, and provision as we seek to minister to others, as we seek to share the truth of His Word. And so as we wrap up our time here today, just want to give you a few other things to, sh- to think about. Much of our application was woven throughout the text. But the biggest point that I hope that you will get across today is the point that in order to have bold faith, you first have to have faith. And as we saw here within this text, that faith can only come through the Holy Spirit, by the work of Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus' work, his death, burial, and resurrection, the good news of the gospel that these men proclaimed, that we can know God. It is only through him that we can be saved. Acts 4.12, again, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other God, there is no other person, there is no other plan of salvation outside of Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation does not come simply by coming to Delaware Bible Church. It doesn't come by reading your Bible each day. It doesn't come by being a really good person, by living a good life, by donating money, by having so many worldly things, it comes by Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so the most important question that I can ask you today is, do you have true Christian faith? And if you're not sure in any way about that, if when that opportunity to be bold for your faith comes, you sit there and question, well, do I really have faith? At the end of this service, Randy, the elder that that prayed, our elder chairman, he's going to be up here up front. I'm going to be in the back in the commons. Pastor Aaron will be around here. Other men will be here. Other ladies will be around that would love to be able to share with you how you can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How the same Holy Spirit that empowered these men can empower you to live a life that's glorifying and honoring to God. That is the most important decision that you can ever make. And as we look at the world around us right now and all the turmoil and all the things going on, I think it's clear for us to say that today's a wonderful day to know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And I hope that you do. And if you don't, I hope that whether you're here within this room or you're listening, whether it be on video stream or audio stream, that you make sure that you are a follower of Jesus Christ because there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Secondly, for those who are followers of Christ, 
Let me just ask you to consider how you can be bold in your faith this week. Now, it may not look like it did for these apostles who were literally calling out the authorities and saying, basically, you're not going to stop us. But it may look like you taking the opportunity to finally share your faith with that coworker. It may be calling that family member who's estranged, telling them you love them, praying with them, and making sure that they're a follower of Christ. And so one thing to consider for this week is to think about who are three people in my life that I can boldly share my faith with this week. And boldness may simply look like just telling them about Jesus for the first time. There's a man in this church who is one of my friends who shared with me just a couple weeks ago that he was just encouraged to just boldly share with one of his friends whom he was very concerned about their salvation, about who Jesus is, that he is the one who could save him. And he did that. And he rejoiced in sharing that that man he found out that he didn't know had called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. But as God puts those people in your life, who can you be bold with to share your faith with this week? Imagine what God could do in our community if all of us here in this room, watching from home online, wherever we may be, are bold and sharing the truth of God's word with three people this week. I guess we'd have to add a third service here at Delaware Bible Church. Let's be bold in our faith this week as God provides opportunities. Number three, when it comes to prayer, are you boldly, consistently praying to the Lord? It is a real conviction to me as we see these men that not only after they were saved from this persecution did they simply say, God, thank you, which is what my response would be, God, thank you for keeping me from that. But they knew it wasn't over, and they said, God, give us boldness, because we're going to have to do it again. And then we're going to have to do it again. And then we're going to have to do it again. Are you boldly, consistently praying for the Lord? Are you saying, Lord, give me boldness to share, and help me to keep doing that? And let me just say as well, that if a prayer life for you is a struggle, as it can be a hard discipline, remember that maybe one of the ways that you can just be really encouraged in your prayer life is by attending some of the prayer services that we have here. There's a group of men faithfully meeting on Monday morning at 6 a.m. to pray. There's a group of people that faithfully meet on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock that would love for you to come pray with them. And if you say, I really struggle in my prayer life, well, the best thing that you can do is put it on your calendar and be there and pray. But make sure that you are making a regular prayer time in your life whenever and however you can do that. Boldly, consistently pray for the Lord, to the Lord. Not only for yourself, but for other laborers in the faith as well. Make sure you have true Christian faith. Be bold in your faith with others this week. And boldly, consistently pray to the Lord. Ding LeMay was, wasn't known simply just as an evangelist, but also as a man of prayer. And in his final two years of life, he came down with liver cancer. 
During these final two years, he remained at home with his family, devoting his time to prayer and to writing. Despite his cancer, he continued to faithfully serve the Lord through the ministry of prayer. And regardless of your age, that's always a ministry you can have. He was always known to emphasize prayer and always carried with him a little notebook. At the time of his death, three notebooks were found holding the names of 5,000 people that he prayed for. Truly this man, much like the apostles, is a man that we should seek to emulate in their bold faith and prayer for the Lord's work. Let's close our time in prayer together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the examples that we see in the church throughout the ages of bold faith. First and most importantly, we see that through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for his sacrifice for us so that we can come and know that you are the great God, the cornerstone that we sing about. That truly no one uh, can have power or authority over us that is greater than you. And so, Lord, I pray that if there would be one person in here that would not know you as their heavenly Father, that, Lord, you would convict them in such a way today that they just couldn't escape that. That they would have to come to a saving faith and knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Lord, for us who know you as our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to be bold as these apostles were, as Ding was, as others who have encouraged us in our faith are. Wherever we are, whatever opportunities you give us, help us to be salt and light in this world that so desperately needs it. God, as we look at all the wreckage in this world around us, Truly, they need to know the hope that is found within us and help us to be bold to share it, even if it may cost us. Lord, help us to come back and pray for boldness to keep doing the work. And Lord, help us to do it in this community for your honor and for your glory. Lord, help us to take these truths that we've learned today and help it not to be simply head knowledge that we remember that we think of as we think of the book of Acts, but truths that we live out as we see these examples of bold faith. Lord, give us bold faith, not so that people can look at us, but so that they can look at you, and so that the truth of your word would be proclaimed and shared here within our community. Thank you for this time together. We pray these things in Jesus, our cornerstone's name. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.